Dharma talks are not the same as lectures. Some of you are taking notes. Um, I don't like to play policeman unless I have to. In this case, I don't have to. I'll leave it up to you, but at least let me make the case for not taking notes. Uh, Dharma talks are just another opportunity to practice. And the practice would be the art of listening. So that let's say, whether you agree with what's being said, whether you think it's interesting, boring, fascinating, new, old, same old stuff, whatever it is, isn't as important as the process of paying attention and to see how the mind so easily doesn't pay attention. In fact, the art of listening, in my experience, is mainly refined by seeing how you you don't listen. I don't think you need a workshop or a guidebook. If you start paying attention to how you listen, you'll see that um, probably without knowing most of you, our listening is flawed because we have our mind is filled up with all kinds of ideas and opinions and we hear it through a filter. Um, So Dharma talks are not like accumulating information, really, but rather using this opportunity of of speaking and listening for us all to grow, including me. When we give Dharma talks, it isn't uh, just to exercise how much we know. Maybe some of that, but that would be our, our flaw. Uh, It's more how to move the retreat ahead, how to move it along. Uh, Sometimes um, retreats need a certain kind of help in terms of what to talk about, certain kinds of emphasis, other times something else, so that it's all practical. Uh, Finally, if you don't care about what I just said, Uh, all of these talks will be on Dharma Seed and you can just hear them to your heart's delight. (laughs) Every precious word of it. You can play it again and again and again. (laughs) Play it in your car. So what we're practicing is very often called Shamatha Vipassana or samadhi and insight, panya. Um, the first few days we were emphasizing p- taking up a meditation theme, it could be anything, we've taken the sitting breathing body in the hall, coming back to it again and again and again, and that develops certain qualities of mind. And then yesterday, I, I believe, we opened things up so that uh, whatever qualities we may have developed, now can those same qualities be directed towards the full experience of being alive for each one of us, the entire mind-body process. And both are available, so they're usually called two practices, shamatha, vipassana, and different ways of teaching them. Uh, a typical way is progressive. You, do, you, you get your... the um, Shamatha, calming the mind, steadying the mind to a certain level. Sometimes uh, you don't get into the Vipassana practice until 
a very, very deep concentration. At other times, adequate so that uh, it passes the test. The test is, can you be alert and open to a moving field of energies, objects? And if you can, then the concentration, so-called concentration, so-called insight, they grow in tandem. They help each other. As the mind becomes more calm, it's more able to see. As it's more able to see insightfully, it grows more calm. Uh, and finally, especially with Anapanasati, and I'll, I'll try to spell that out, um, it can be a unified practice so that samadhi and panya are practiced simultaneously. We'll get into that in a little while. So, <clears throat> what, what is it that we're doing? Uh, there's a very ancient Indian teaching story. Uh, a number of you have heard it. Um, there's a yogi who was also a king, a very advanced yogi who was also a king. He had many worldly duties, but he also was a highly developed yogi. And this person came to the king and said, could you teach me what you know? I, I would like to get free. I would like to become wise and kind and so forth. So the king said, okay, put a pot of very hot oil on your head and make your way through each and every room in the palace without spilling a drop. And then when you finish that up, come back here and then we'll talk it over. So this very determined, very sincere person does that. Goes through each and every room in this very large palace without spilling a drop and proudly comes back and said, here, I did it. And so then the king looks at him and says, what can you tell me about what's going on in the palace? Who's having an affair with who? Who's plotting to overthrow me? Where are their coups? Uh, who's with who? What's what? You know, tell me them some news. What's going on in the palace? I have so many duties, I, I'm out of touch. The person said, I don't know. I, I've been so concentrated on not spilling oil. I don't have a clue as to what's going on. I just went through each room just being grateful that I didn't spill any oil. He said, okay. Now, again, take that pot of hot oil, put it on your head, make your way through every room in the palace, and let me know what's going on. Get it? In other words, actually there's a Yiddish word for the second one. It's called being a yenta. That means interested in everything, you know, nosy. I think it's made its way to some degree into English now, but I'm not sure. Anyway, you don't need a Yiddish word. We all know what that is. But here, so the first one is calm and concentration. And the second one is taking that quality and learning, seeing, watching, observing. Um, it's a different quality of attention. It has um, more, there's more context in it. There's more detail. You're interested in the content of what's going on and without dropping the oil. Now, the only thing I would add in this story, they don't say and use the conscious breathing to help you maintain all this. <laughs> but since that's what we've been doing all week, uh, if I should have updated the story and made it that, but I, I, I didn't. It's too hot. I forgot all about it. <laughs> um, so whatever method you're using, that's the, that's the challenge. So to just make sure to try to quickly review some of what we've been doing. We started off by, of all the things we attended to, in other words, the king didn't give uh, 
this, uh, this gentleman any uh, training. He just said, go and do it, learn it on the job, come back, and, and uh, that's all he told him. We're a little bit more generous. So we do some training before we ask this person to go through the palace. And the training is what we've been doing to begin with. We've established a posture that's as comfortable and as upright, stable, steady as we can manage. And to begin with, it's neither comfortable or steady. It's, it's, not, it's not steady, it's not upright, it's none of the things. Sure, we have to start where we, we start where we are and we have to take into account many other factors, our age, uh, the condition of our body and so forth. But we arrange the body as best we can. Now, that's contributing to creating, the posture is one part of being alive. How the body is, is not inconsequential. It's not that if you have perfect posture, as they emphasize in public school when I grew up, how to stand against the wall and with a ruler and all that. And, I, and my friends went to Catholic school. The nuns would, if they weren't, didn't stand straight, they would whack them sometimes. Rabbis didn't care. They were all bent over, too, to begin with. So, <laughs> From reading all these books, you know. <laughs> so if you just have perfect posture and excellent breathing, um, that's good. Your nervous system will be better. All kinds of nice things will flow from that. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily lead to wisdom. It just means you have nice posture. So, okay. um, so that's one part of it. The other is to get a sense. Uh, it's to enter into, to inhabit, to live inside your own body. For some of that's a new th for Maybe for all of us to really do that, it's a new thing. Even if you've, let's say, done lots of yoga and, and all kinds of physical things, this is... Oh, and, and no anatomy, physiology. This is a little different. It's not technical knowledge that, that we're concerned about. It's entering into the body and getting to know it intuitively from the inside. We don't need, in fact, it's not about developing names for where anything is. It's uh, entering into and being sensitive to what we call the body and feeling it from inside. And for some people at the beginning, it's really very difficult. Maybe we've been alienated from our body for much of our life. But if you stick with it, it's really helpful. Because like it or not, we do have a body. And it doesn't go away until a certain time. Then it does go away. It doesn't come back as far as I know. Um, so we're, we inhabit the body. And from that place, and as we've gone over this many, many times, but I want to make sure that... Uh, the basic instructions are clear because sometimes in the groups I realize that it's hard to get it straight and then you can make up your mind as to how to practice, what to practice and so forth. So from that place uh, can we learn how to um, inhabit the body uh, in a relaxed open way and allow everything that's other than the body breathing and, of course, we're featuring the breath sensations. We're not trying desperately to envelop the whole body. I say that again and again because some people are, are working too hard. It's just experiencing bodily life however you experience it. And, of course, how can you, the breath sensations are in, can't be separated from it. So the sitting, there's a sitting, breathing body. What's that like for you even right now as I speak? 
and everything else we just let it come and go. We're learning how to live uh, peacefully coexist with thoughts, with images, with moods, with sounds, with whatever, everything that's other than the meditation theme. And central to it is, com is making a commitment to that method, being clear that, you want, that you're going to give it a try if it's new to you, and some people have been doing it for a while. They don't have to, they can just, it just happens naturally. And entering into that and doing that. And so over time, we come back, and we come back gently. It's very important how we come back, because if you, uh, you can turn it into a blood sport, you know, by just, tear you get back there to that body and that breath. Uh, it's you uh, being hard on you. It's not the spirit of meditation at all. And so we're learning a lot of skills, subtle skills. And two very important ones, again, we repeat them, but I think they have to be said a lot. Because especially when we open it, when we go through the palace, um, the art of allowing and receiving. That means we're letting the breath happen. At least, uh, every, at least in this activity, can we take a break from controlling? I know some of us are called control freaks and all this. You know, there's a lot of language about it. Um, I don't know about any diagnostic categories or epithets, but let's just say here, can we take a holiday, a vacation, and just be? Learn how to do that. And a number of you, many of you, were quite honest about it's not easy because we haven't been brought up that way. We're on the march. We're going somewhere. We're marching towards something. And we're just saying, just occupy this moment with sensitivity, alertness, and experience the way it is, especially the breath as it happens in the body. And that's a head-on collision, perhaps, with a lifetime of conditioning and training in the school system, in, in the occupation, in family life. Um, it's a useful skill to learn. If you stay with it, you'll learn how to do that. It can be learned. It's not that special. I mean, it is special, especially if we don't have never done it. And you'll come to appreciate it because the time comes where you can just take, let's say you have a very busy, complex life, and many of us will be going back to that. If you can just take five or ten minutes and just temporarily suspend all your aspirations, problems, worries, plans, schemes, tactics, and just sit and breathe, five or ten minutes. Uh, it's like going to an oasis in the middle of the desert. And you can really, and you, you'll improve at it if you do it. You rejuvenate yourself and then you can go back into the world, uh, a much more complex world. So it's a very useful skill. Um, okay. So we're learning that. We're learning how to do that. Now, to get ahead of ourselves a bit, well, let's go to receiving. And receiving is not scurrying after, hunting for, trying to track down, uh, to get, to acquire, but just to receive what's there. So we're letting, in this case, we're letting the breath happen. We have no plan for how it's supposed to be. And we're, pre we're learning how to be present so that we, uh, we receive whatever we receive, whatever you feel is perfect. Sometimes people say, well, I don't feel the breath. Let's say a number of breaths go by. Fine, then you don't. Then what do you feel? Well, the, the body didn't go away. There it is, fine. Or there's silence. And then the breaths, you feel the breath again. So we're not forcing anything. If you find yourself struggling and forcing, um, this, that's off. That's off. 
uh, a number of times, if any of you are like scientists who apply yourself to uh, technology, if you could come up with a, some little gadget, an implant that only the person, the yogi, would hear. That is, every time there's struggle, a, t a craving, which is going to lead to suffering, <clears throat> if that could go off. <laughs> but, but only you'd hear it. Like sometimes people pick up a phone. I'm saying, I didn't hear anything, you know, because I guess there's some signal. What is it? A, some vibration or something? So I guess somehow they know to pick up a phone. All right, yeah. Okay, Jim. All right. Love you. Everyone loves everyone these days. It's, is it only in Cambridge? Everyone love you and how are you doing? Fine. So it's a world filled up with love you and fine. I'm glad it's such a, it's a beautiful world we live in. Okay. Uh, so little by little, you can detect it yourself. You can experience what's happening. And, uh, and then just uh, once again, it's by seeing uh, your inability to allow. It's by seeing your, by, in other words, you're controlling. Many of us uh, direct the breath. And you, it's amazing when you get very quiet, you think, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And then you see it's still going on, but very, very subtle. And if you try to correct it, you're struggling. So all you do is just experience it. Just be mindful of the fact that something in us is trying to get something to be something other than the way it is. And typically, it's, it eases off, it smooths out, and little by little, the time comes, you find yourself just being and breathing. The breathing is happening, you're there, and you're awake in just being alive with that aspect of, of life. Okay, now, um, as we learn to do that, as I hope all of us, all three of us, because in the yoga it's the same instructions, um, we're developing, uh, uh, it, let's limit it to the sitting once again. In the sitting, uh, what can come out of what we're doing is, is called acquiring a seat. It's called sometimes uh, home ground, or the breath can become an anchor. You've heard us, certainly you've heard me say it. And the reason I'm repeating it is because it's easy to forget that. And if you remember it, these simple guidelines will make the practice more, I think, more accessible, more available. Okay, so that with practice, you can become like a mountain. You know, that, that the sitting can be really planted. That's very important. Very important, to whatever degree that happens. Because if, the, if just the body and the breathing without, in other words, it's just going, forget about just the palace, but without knowing anything, if just there's that stability in the body and the breathing, from that place we can open up, widen our capacity, and receive a wide range of what's going on. And soon it'll be pe more people and talking and doing and so forth. Uh, it gives us a, st a place from which, because uh, to face storms, a lot of times the storms that come are emotional storms all kinds of vexation and fears and uh, apprehension. And if there's a place of rest and stability from which to be awake, the awakening really is inseparable from it because the, the awareness, the breath and the body fuse, they become the same thing. Then whatever the mind throws up, and you know there's some very difficult things that come up for all of us, and we're learning how to relate to them in a new way. Well, it really helps if you have an anchor, it helps, whatever you want to call it, home ground, um, 
acquired a seat, a real seat. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, so what? Uh, so a few questions had to do with. Okay, we're allowing everything to the, the breath to be assume all these different qualities. We're not trying to make it be a special way. And then, of course, as you know, when we open it up, we're doing the same thing. Now it's more challenging. We're allowing the mind. It's an invitation. We're just sitting there and saying, "Fine, whatever's here, let it out." But not, we're not, just by having no agenda, it's an invitation for what's stored up inside of us to start to, in its own way, because we're not doing it. Uh, as a great Chinese master, Lin Chi put it, take it easy and do nothing. We're learning. Now, this doing nothing is a kind of doing, but it's not doing as we use that word. The English language isn't too set up for it. It's, we're learning how to, because there's sensitivity and alertness in that stillness. It isn't just a blank gaze. Okay, so as we're learning, we're learning how to be with different kinds of breath. Sometimes it's attractive, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's neutral. We're learning how to be with different emotional states, all in the sitting practice. Stuff comes through the mind that we like, stuff comes through that we can't stand. Uh, it becomes silent. We love the silence, but then we become afraid, frightened of the silence. All the different weather conditions. Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned that term, but I did. All right. okay. uh, they visit us. Now, one question in a note was, well, how is this going to help us when we apply this in daily life? Let me uh, see if I can help you see a direct connection. First of all, we're going to be bringing, of course, full attention. We've already encouraged you to do it. Um, before we go home, we'll talk more about that because if we talk too much about going home, probably your minds are already, your, your minds are to some degree home already, right? Because that's how minds work. When you were home, your mind was here. <laughs> then you wind up here, unpack for a few days, you're here. And then now that suddenly, man, you know, suddenly your mind is, yeah, I don't think that, that first night, I think I'll just. Uh, Oh, I can get home in time. This is my mind for Masterpiece Theater in 60 minutes. Yeah. Will I get home in time for that? Yeah, I hope so. Okay, so all that's going on. Um, so there's a variety of things, and we're learning how to stay on our feet, so to speak, how to meet face to face with the different qualities of breath the different kinds of mind states, the different conditions of the body, and little by little we're learning how to maintain equanimity. That's a term used a lot by the Buddha. And the Buddha was known as somebody who mastered come what may seeing. Very, I always, that helped me tremendously when the first time I heard it. Come what may seeing. That means the awareness becomes so steady that whatever turns up in front of it, the awareness is stronger. It's a huge help in life, huge. It's a giant step towards getting free. Okay, now, how does that, what is the correspondence between that and when we go in daily life, starting here? Is that we're learning how to be alert, but also agile, flexible, pliable, because things keep changing. Now, when we leave here, it's the same thing, only now it'll be action with different people, different moves that we're in, that they're in, different requirements in your job, at home, whatever it is. And the mind is learning how to be alert in a changing field. It's developing stillness 
in the midst of activity. And as it gets more stable, of course, it's even more of a challenge when you leave uh, the nice little, uh, little um, refuge of just sitting here, which is a simplification of life. But we're learning a skill that little by little we're transferring to the much more challenging relationship especially, etc. Uh, so that we're learning it's possible to, to maintain alertness with whatever turns up. And of course, at first, we, we can't. We have our preferences, our likes, our dislikes. But little by little, that's part of what we're learning. And so some of that can be taken right over into life, which itself is constantly changing. Constantly. Okay, if you recall, I don't know if you... Um, in the condensed method, first we calm the mind, steady it. And then we just sit and breathe and we watch everything come and go. Whatever it is, there's no agenda. That's the power of this approach, to not have an agenda. To just, well at first you probably won't, but at a certain point, just enjoy the show. It is an incredible show. Stuff is coming out of who knows what. Some of you have reported strange sounds and conversations and uh, you don't know where it's coming from. I don't either. But can we begin to develop a mind that is so steady that come what may, we, we remain on our feet. In Japan, they have a, a, dar, a, a Bodhidharma was a, a Zen master who brought, uh, an Indian master who brought the teaching to China where it got called Chan or Zen. And these, this doll has heavily weighted. Children play with it. You push it, it falls over, and then it rolls right back. And you push it over, and then it rolls right back. A Daruma doll, I think they call it. Uh, so we're learning how to land on our feet, whether what, what is in front of us, what is challenging us, is something that's easy to be with or not. And of course we'll, uh, we won't always be able to do it. So don't underestimate what we're learning in, uh, on the reservation here. This is the reservation. <laughs> and soon we'll be going out, uh, leaving the reservation. Uh, because we're training the mind to be fresh, alert, sensitive, adroit, able to, as situations change, instead of clinging, holding on, it is able to, to move, to let go and to grasp on to what's new, not grasp on, become awake to what's new. The breath is a wonderful metaphor for the whole practice. Uh, because if you think about the breathing from a physiological point of view, what is happening is when we exhale, we're getting rid of wastes. Now it's old stuff. We needed the oxygen. It's keeping us alive. And then it's put to use, and then wastes come out. That's the exhalation. That's its value. And that makes room for fresh energy to come in, which, which is utilized by us, which in turn becomes waste and, and leaves. It's a metaphor because uh, the challenge uh, in terms of living is can we meet the present moment and behave appropriately, what is correct action in a given situation, uh, and then when it's over, exhale it. In other words, because typically, very often what happens is we're in one situation, it changes, but we're still dwelling on something that's ancient history. It could be years ago. So what we're learning is how to fully be here and then to exhale it when it's over with so that we can fully be with what's next, so the mind becomes, is fresh. There's subtle ways in which it loses its freshness. And on a retreat like this, it's very easy for that to happen. The longer you've been practicing, and the better you are at Anapanasati, the, the more the possibilities are 
of this happening. That is, you get good at, at breath awareness. In, out, in, out, in, out. Um, uh-huh. In, out, in, out. And you start, calm comes. It's like pushing a butter, button, an elevator, fourth floor. You go to the fourth floor. Uh, but you're, it's mechanical. And very important in our practice is learning how to, how to remain fresh. The famous don't know mind, beginner's mind, the mind of not knowing, the baby's mind. How to meet situations not through yesterday's eyes, but seeing it here and now as it is, including people that we've known for years. We, we accumulate all kinds of conclusions about them, images, and we don't see them as they are in this moment because there's a filter. We're not aware of it. We think we're seeing them. And as we start seeing that, the, the world starts to become a, a much more interesting place. Some of you reported just seeing a flower, seeing the color of a flower. Oh, so beautiful. Same flower. It hasn't changed. It's not that we grow special flowers at IMS. It's that your mind has changed. And it's, it needn't be limited to flowers. Okay. Um, so... Let's deal with the weather. I think it's necessary because as if we don't have enough on our plate. You know, Buddha decided these people have spoiled, they have good lives, they, they can afford to come here, look at their suitcases, and they, have, they all have all these gadgets that they're supposed to turn off. You know, let's challenge them. Okay, turn up the heat, Joe. Uh, and, and some moisture, too. It's, it's not humid enough. Okay. Let's see how these uh, so-called yogis do now. You know, okay. So there's a teaching in the Zen tradition which is, can be very, very helpful, and it goes way beyond uh, temperature. But let's, let's limit it to temperature, and then I think you'll see how it can be very helpful in life in general. A student comes to a teacher and says, how can you practice when it's very hot and it's very cold? Now, in the monasteries in Asia, certainly ones I practice at, they don't have air conditioning, and the fans are, ban you know, you, you, you manual. Uh, and when you're sitting, you can't sit like this, you know. Or, uh, sitting in Korea, they have a, an unusual heating system, the floor, but it's uneven, so you could, everyone is scurrying to get to the warm part of the floor. Okay, so how do you, how do you practice when it's very hot or it's very cold? And the teacher says, go to that place where there is no hot or cold. And some of the answers over the centuries have been um, winter Buddha, summer Buddha, uh, hot Buddha, cold Buddha. Uh, when it's in the summertime, the Buddha sweats. In the wintertime, the Buddha shivers. And of course, a very famous one, kill hot, kill cold, exclamation point. Okay, what? That doesn't sound too Buddhist. This kill hot, kill cold, especially. Okay, now when I was given this koan, I didn't know all these, um, you know, punchlines. First of all, it doesn't matter. Even if I did, it might even have been more of a handicap. You come in for an interview in the Zen tradition, at least what I know of it in the Korean and Japanese approach, and the interviews are very brief. There's this, let's say, this koan. You come in, the teacher may ask you, and you know, deal with it. How how do you? Uh, what is, it, what is this all about? And you give your answer. 99% of the time it's wrong. And the person says, rings a bell, get out. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. 
Now, that's, I wish we could get away with that. <laughs> but no such luck. You, if we did that, there'd be lawsuits. You know, you'd be going to the office. People, you know, hate mail. We'd be on CNN, you know, just sort of... Just get out. Okay, so when I got it over, I, know I, I couldn't get it right. I didn't know these uh, punchlines. Again, I'll go into that. Um, and I gave all kinds of answers. I don't remember them. But finally, I did get it. And this, had, this was about 40 years ago, a little, maybe slightly less. But I do remember the essence of my answer because it was, I was so proud. Uh, not as proud as the uh, haiku, but pretty proud. <laughs> and so I, get the, my, I didn't answer in words. I took out my handkerchief and I went, whew. And I went like this, and the teacher said, very good, and that was that. <laughs> okay, now, just to make it, it clear, if I had had those other correct answers in quotes, supposing I said, kill hot, kill cold, what that means is kill the concept hot, kill the concept cold. Uh, when it's a, in, the, in the winter, the Buddha shivers, in the summer, the Buddha sweats. What else is he going to do? He's human. Of course he's going to shiver and sweat. But that's all he does, just shiver, just sweat. Uh, so all of them are getting at uh, a very interesting uh, interaction between the body and the mind. So is it possible for the body to be hot and for the mind to be clear? So that, for example, supposing I gave an answer, kill hot, kill cold, he would ring the bell and say, get out. They're not interested in the words. They, they become, these, some of these teachers are very good at sensing where it's coming from. Is your mind really clear in that moment? Are you really just hot and you're not rehearsing some canned answer that you read in a book or that you made up? And in that moment, even if you made it up, can you be really fresh and when the koan is asked of you, the answer is that that's all that's going on. You're just 100% handkerchief mind, sweat mind, bowing mind. Uh, they can tell. Uh, if you do enough of this, you, you know, you get uh, any field you're in, you, you can, the su subtleties you become good at. If you're in textiles, you, see, you know all the different fabrics, you can see it like that. Same here. Okay. Uh, so it's not the literal answer that counts, but the state of consciousness. As one of you yogis put it, you, have a, uh, you already have an air conditioner. The mind is an air conditioner. I thought it was very good. I'm stealing someone's material. Um, yeah, okay. It's okay? Yeah, good. Um, what does that mean? Look, uh, let's, let's uh, inhabit a mind that maybe is a little bit like yours and maybe not. You come here for a retreat, you planned it, you're so happy, you pull up and all that, and it wasn't too bad first, and suddenly, but you, you knew the weather forecast, but you disregarded it. This is the time of the year that you are free, you're coming here, and you heard, you know, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the Jim, Matthew, Larry team, they're nice guys and they work well together. This is a good retreat for me. I like doing some movement and they, they're, they're good. Let's, I'm going to do this retreat. And then your friends say, have you heard the weather forecast? <laughs> and then your, the, a friend or a wife or a husband says, we're going to the Cape. What are, you, what are you going to this retreat center? What's wrong with you? You know, are you crazy? No, I'm going for my spiritual development. <laughs> saying, 
okay, well, if you stayed home, you know, it's air-conditioned, you have cold drinks, you know, you know, like, well, go to a spa somewhere where you can get a massage and, you know, get your toes done and, you know. <laughs> so this, these, these people are, they're joyless, they're humorless, they don't talk, they don't, they don't do anything, you know, just, is that what you, yes, I, it's, they've been doing it for a few thousand years and it really works, I did a retreat once. Okay, so then you arrive here and then the heat comes. And you're sitting here, and you, you came uh, well-prepared, good attitude, and suddenly the mind kicks in. What kind of a meditation center is this that doesn't have, they don't have air conditioning in the, in the hall? They invite, we come here, we pay our hard-earned cash, good money, and what? We, have, we come here to sweat our, whatchamacallit, off? Uh, I'm not coming back here. What's wrong with these people? They're, I know, they're cheap. They're just, they just want to make profit off us. You know, and the rooms, they're a little fan going around, you know, like, uh, and some of them don't even have that. I had to bring my own fan. And then you hear one of your friends or someone in your life, I told you not to go. So I could have been home and comfortable. Next year, I'm going to go. I don't care if Dracula is leading the retreat. I'm, I'm going earlier. I'm going to go in uh, May or June when I know it's going to be okay. Okay, and so do you think that helps your situation? That just heats you up more. So kill hot means, in, in a sense, see that part of the mind that's constructing a drama about the condition of the body. And as you see that, of course, you're not feeding it. If you don't identify with it, if you don't... Now, if you do identify with it, you're believing in the story, and then that story joins in. That there's no question that it's hot and it's uncomfortable. I'm not saying that's an, uh, an illusion. It isn't. But the, the fact that you can't tell the difference, there's no... And it's a crucial insight. Insight into the distinction between mind and body means that the mind is going to get in there and turn discomfort into torture, even torment. Flip that around, as we get to know ourselves, self-understanding, we can see what the mind is doing. That's what was meant by one of your fellow yogis, uh, where the mind can be an air conditioner. Because if the mind sees through this, and uh, when it doesn't make up all this mental stuff, the body is actually a little bit cooler. Plug in, so is it possible for the mind to be clear? when the body is hot? Is it possible for the mind to be clear when the body is sick? Is it possible for the mind to be clear when the body is aging? Etc. So what we're learning is that it's possible to re-educate ourselves so that the mind learns how to be steady in the face of all these different conditions. Whoops. I'm just getting warmed up. Oh, can't use that term. Uh, Hmm. We're learning how to, how to use this in such a way so that um, even though it is hot, it is uncomfortable, and it would be nice if we did have air conditioning, but if we dwell on how it could have been, how it should be, what I might have done instead of coming, I should have gone to the Cape, etc., et uh, it's just as hot. In fact, it gets, it's more hot. If you have an ailment, and the mind is going on and on about worrying, fearing, and being concerned over and over again, you're weakening the immune system. The, the body, to whatever degree, is trying to heal itself. 
and the mind can just slow or weaken that process. So it's imperative that we learn this, this insight. And how do you do that? Well, I don't think you can do it unless the mind has a certain steadiness, calm, clarity. And let me leave with this idea, and then we'll pick up on Sunday and finish some of this stuff off and lead it into going home. Um, often, most often, you'll read uh, the two practices, as we've been describing them. There's shamatha, vipassana, or samadhi and vipassana. In other words, step number one, calm the mind, then open it up and use that calm mind to see the arising and passing away, impermanence, see it all coming and going. Don't grasp, don't push away, just watch, and watch the mind free itself of its own stuff. Okay? Um, when anapanasati starts to become natural for you, if it becomes natural, not everyone is drawn to this method. If you are, then this could, it's possible for both of them to be functioning at the same time. In other words, the, the in and out breath is soothing. It, it, it's a, bringing a certain serenity to consciousness. At the same time, they're, they're working, uh, they're synchronized, because life is, it's not separate. We have separated and then we've got to try and paste it together again. It's all happening at the same time. We're breathing and living. The mind is, is working, the body is working, breathing is happening. So as the breath starts to do what it's designed to do with some training, uh, it brings with it a certain soothing, calming, brings a certain serene quality to the mind. And at the same time, the mind, supported, maintained, helped by that quality of breath, is discerning. It's starting to see the impermanent nature of things, seeing how things uh, drop. Ooh, I have to add one thing. I promised I'd insert some cowboy morality, a cowboy wisdom. I promised someone. I, ca I can't let them down. Right? Where are you? Okay, it doesn't matter. You might be embarrassed. I'm not. I've learned more from cowboy movies than the Buddha. <laughs> They're great showing you how to suffer. Terrific. It's a manual on how to put together dukkha. In fact, all movies are. Most of them are. At any rate, here's what cow... He, 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 the essence of any wisdom path is understanding. It's not just see you know, a, a fixed gaze. And the understanding to begin with is thoughts. But finally, it's not conceptual understanding. It's direct, intuitive. The clear mind, the clear seeing is the insight. The seeing is so accurate that you don't, it's not that it leads to another step, it sees what's there. It sees things as they are rather than as they aren't, or as the mind makes them up to be. Okay, so what, what liberates us is that this kind of understanding has to go deeper and deeper and deeper. To begin with, it's conceptual. You can read lots of books on what the Buddha is teaching or any philosophic wide, uh, wisdom treaty, uh, treatise, and and it's helpful. The, the intellectual mind loves reading it, and maybe it, it gives you some inspiration and you feel good. That's valuable, but that doesn't have much transformative power. So that, and here we come to um, Robert Duval, and I think it was Open Range or Free Range or one of those. You know, they all sound the same to me. At any rate, so uh, he's asked, if I recall, something like, have you known suffer the suffering of, you know, of this and that? And he said, have I known suffering? He's sitting around the campfire and he says, I've known suffering bone deep. And I realize, whoa, that's a beautiful concept. 
the understanding can become deeper and deeper. The quieter you get, the more sensitive you get, the more you get it. In other words, the, the understanding, if we have a continuum, when it's just thinking, it's still useful, but it doesn't have that much transformative power. As more and more in the seeing, there's a learning that goes on through the direct seeing. It's often called discernment. We, we see something, we get something. It's a, an alert quality that is interested in understanding your own mind, your own body, what's happening with yourself, with people, anything, nature. Uh, as that level of understanding deepens, it, it, bone deep is not a bad way to put it, because at that point, it's like your understanding and who you are are inseparable. It's not like two different things. I'm X, but I know this wisdom, I'll apply it now. It isn't like that. It's natural. Now, you can't force that. And sometimes in one sitting, you get, you, there's an understanding, and sometimes it's referred to as a breakthrough, and it's as good a term as any, where you really get something, and forever you, you're done with that way of suffering because you really saw it. If you really saw what the nature of thinking is, not we tell you what it is, and you get it, perhaps you see it, thinking is just thinking. But if you really get that at deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper levels until it's bone deep, then the place of thinking in your life will never be the same. You'll be able to tell the difference between the capacity to think, which is very useful, it's a blessing if you can think straight, and the compulsion to think, which is what we're plagued with. And a lot of those thoughts do not lead to freedom or to peace or to joy or to kindness. They're they're not helping us or we wouldn't be here on this hot day. So thank you, Robert Duval. I hope that satisfies. And may we all develop an understanding that's bone deep. Can we have a moment of silence, please? Okay, thank you very much for just still being here. It's an achievement. If I could leave, I'd have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> but we have a, it's a life sentence for us. No, no pardon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.